Hey everyone, it is Monday night and Michael from Grow Now Therapy and I are excited to be on here for our fourth episode of our online book club called Chapter Chat. So we are starting to get some people to join us. Hello, hello. Thank you for being here. We're going to see if we get Michael on here. Hope you're all having a good week. It's Monday. Um, Michael and I, we joke now that, you know, we always used to say TGIF, you know, thank God it's Friday. And now we're like TGIM. We're so excited for Mondays, which is um, really crazy that, you know, we look forward to Mondays so much. But um, we are uh, tickled uh, to be able to get on here and talk with you guys. There's Michael. Um, we are talking about this book, How Children Succeed. And we are on chapter three. There he is. There we go. TGIM. Yep, TGIM. It's, <laughs> it's our new saying, right? <laughs> that was the first thing I heard you talking about when I clicked on it. I, I heard you saying that. I was like, oh, we're off yep. to a good start. Yep, that was, that was Michael's uh, today when he posted. <laughs> he had TGIM. I'm like, yep, that's our new saying now. So um, we it's are. It's the truth. Mon it Mon Mondays are the new Fridays. It's like, like looking forward to this <laughs> and all of the great interactions I've got, all of the great questions and people reaching out. We have people posting pictures of themselves with the book. Yay! It's, it's, it's just, it's amazing. And it's all about, it's all about the community. This is a true book club and every single person that's here every single person that attends up oh, fun day monday there we go there we go so every single person you guys make this so worthwhile it is so yes. much fun and hey and i want to give a big shout out to our friend uh allison molten from molten speech she's always she's always there i wouldn't book a client because i wanted to attend tonight I love look it. at see I see love and she is also uh, NIC underscore SLP09, Molten Speech. You guys have been so dedicated to the book club. You guys yes. have been some VIP members. Uh, we love the interactions. We love the questions. And this is why Monday is great because of you guys. That's right. That's right. It's so exciting. So we, um, since you got quite a few questions um, sent to yeah, you, right, Michael? I did. I got, oh, there she is. There's Molten Speaks. Thank you so much Yay. for coming. Uh, I got nine total questions sent okay. out. Okay. Yeah, some good ones. Well, how about if we go ahead and kind of dive right in? We are talking about chapter three, which um, just as a recap, chapter one was called How to Fail, right? Mm -hmm. And How Not To. Um, chapter two was how to build character, which we talked about last week. And then tonight our chapter is called how to think. How and, to think. Yeah. What I found so interesting is as I was, uh, rereading this, cause again, Michael and I both read the book in the past. And so we're rereading it now with, I guess, um, a different lens, if you will, because we're really uh, digging deep now. But um, the whole chapter, as I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, this is all about chess. This is just a, a chapter about kids playing chess. Exactly. So the way I read, just because I, I, this is what I've always done. I always skim the entire chapter because I'm a very fast reader. And so I really like to get an idea. And then I go back and I start highlighting and taking notes. So as I was skimming it the first time, I'm like, well, this is weird. This is just a whole chapter about kids playing chess. But exactly. Then you go back. Wow. I mean, there's some good stuff in this chapter, isn't there? Absolutely. So, so this chapter, the first time I read it, it was almost like I was reading like almost like a storybook. 
Uh-huh. Like, like you're reading a story about a bunch of students that are playing chess and, you know, these sorts of things. And I remember reading through it and I was like, oh, that was interesting. That was cool. But it was more of just like your typical reading. It wasn't as like information based, information based. Right. But now that we're reading it again and we're really digging deep into, uh, you know, the information, the research, what's out there. Uh, there's some really, really important notes in here. Uh, and, and Paul Tuff does an amazing job telling this story through the lens of a high school chess team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah. it's actually the in the beginning, so I wrote the school down because I had to actually look it up. So it's Intermediate School 318. Um, and so it's actually a middle school, and it's in Brooklyn, New York. Yep, um, yep. And what's interesting is the rapper Jay Z attended that school, so yep, got yep. like some you know uh, some some something pretty pretty cool about that. But what was so amazing about this is this school is a Title One school, and so over sixty percent of their students um, are low income. I think it was mm-hmm. something like eighty five percent of the students qualify for free or reduced lunch. So chess has historically been considered. Oh, what did they call it? Um, the, the, the ability to play chess well has always been kind of a sign of intelligence, if you will. Like, you know, people with high IQs tend to be really good at playing chess. And what I found so fascinating about this um, Intermediate School 318 in Brooklyn, New York, is that um, it, it said here on page 108, there are a handful of whites and Asians, but most of the players are black or Hispanic. And so mm-hmm. to me, what this is really getting at is we keep talking about this this gap, you know, this, um, uh, what's it called, Michael? The, uh, performance, is, well, wait, uh, the performance gap. Yeah. Performance yeah. Gap, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Middle yep. class and lower class students. And yep. so what I appreciated so much about this is this intermediate school 318, um, consistently wins, um, uh, these huge chess tournaments. And there's actually a documentary about them. Michael, I really want to, um, find yeah. it on Netflix or I think it's on Amazon prime. It's called Brooklyn castle. That's the name of the movie. And so it's a documentary documentary and uh, I cannot wait to watch it because now I'm really enthralled with this whole program because they are consistently the best and they are competing against um, the other best who are uh, most of those students are um, from private schools. Yeah. Yeah. Private schools. So something is happening um, at this school and it really comes down to their chess coach or chess teacher and how she teaches them to think there you go so our friend sophia here uh reminded us of the achievement gap achievement, so a, that's achieve achievement gap performance yeah. gap you know pretty much the same thing but it's mostly known as the achievement gap so thank, thank yes. you sophia thank you. thank you yep and and over these past over these past weeks since we've been doing this the number one thing i've been stress uh, i've been stressing so we talk about uh the cognitive hypothesis we talk about all these things uh the push for iq the push for academics and what does that cause? It causes a decrease of play in early childhood. Play is disappearing from this great Instagram post I saw one time. Play is disappearing. And then later on, relationships and experiences are decreasing. This is happening from the cognitive hypothesis, and this is happening because of the rise of tech and the rise of screens. And this chapter you know, was told beautifully by a, a great journalist, a great author, and he talks about these kids having varied experiences through chess. Uh, and when we talk about how important it is for kids to build executive functioning through varied experiences, a lot of parents think, okay, I need to get my son into uh, team sports. We right. need to, uh, you know, he, he can't just do a little club after school. 
he needs to, you know, we need to, but my son's not athletic. He won't exercise. He doesn't want to do these things. And he, Paul Tuff really talks about how much these kids got out of it by doing chess and chess is a sport. You know, there's really truly something out there for everyone, especially when you are an adolescence and a child. You know, it's all about trying, 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 experiencing, doing new things. That's what it's all about, period. Your son doesn't have to be a soccer star, doesn't have to be a baseball star, basketball star. Being able to play chess in a team, in a competitive environment, allows you to train your brain and train that frontal lobe towards right. how to think, just like this chapter describes it. And two of the main things here that Paul Tuff really highlight in terms of chess were cognitive flexibility yes. and cognitive self-control. And boom, right there, executive functioning. Here we are again. Here we are again. Every chapter in the book, including the intro, everything comes back to executive functioning. And, 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 and Carrie mentioned... Uh, what is this uh, chess coach doing differently for these students to help uh, decrease this achievement gap? And it's the focus on cognitive flexibility and cognitive self-control. So it wasn't just about chess. It wasn't just about teaching them the best moves. It was putting them in situations, putting them in experiences where she was strengthening their executive functioning. Yeah, and I just got to tell you, page one fourteen was my favorite page. I have all. Yep, I'm on it right now. That's yeah, that's my favorite page. So I just want to, I want to, I want to just highlight a few things here. Um, When we think about thinking, which is what she's teaching them how to do, I want you to think about thinking. That's called metacognition, right? Metacognitive skills is um, such a a critical piece. So I love um, at the beginning of the chapter when the one student, I think his name was, oh, I can't remember now, but he he should have won, but he was playing very quickly, the chess match, Sebastian. And um, he ended up losing because he made um, mistakes. And so she sat him down because after every chess match, win or lose, she sits them down. This is part of her um, uh, teaching, coaching style. And she says, tell me about. Right. So she actually makes them tell her about why they made every move. So she says, if you make a mistake, that's okay. She's not about perfectionism. She understands that we're all human. So she says, quote, if you make a mistake, that's okay. But if you do something without even thinking about it, that's not okay. Because the move that cost him the entire chess match, he spent literally two seconds on the on the thought process because he was not delaying gratification. He was not able to inhibit his impulses. And so he saw a move and he took it and he lost the entire match, okay? And so I just think that is so powerful that we have to slow our kids down. And actually, before you act, think about it, right? So we're going to teach kids to think about thinking. So you talked about um, those two uh, uh, things that they mentioned, right? That you need to, what were they? Cognitive? Cognitive flexibility and cognitive self-control. Self-control. That's so, right. And it's funny how now all of a sudden he's using the term cognitive. It is it, interesting. There you go. It is There you go. He has changed his, his language. Uh-huh. Um, and I think it is so fascinating because somewhere, and I'm sure it's on page, oh, there's the metacognitive skills on, on, on one four, page 114. Um, but he actually switches and starts using the term executive functions. And I'm like, finally, there you go. he's finally. finally using the right term. Um, oh, here's what I, on page 114. Um, the teacher, uh, the, the, uh, Paul Tuff said, teaching chess is about teaching the habits that go along with thinking. 
So couldn't we change that to everything? Teaching kids, um, you know, to, to engage in any activity, right? Is exactly. really to teach the habits that go along with thinking. And I also love on page 116, I mean, this is a quote worth repeating, Michael. She said, losing is something you do, not something you are. And, and, and what is that? That's resiliency, right? That's and resiliency and, yeah. and the growth mindset. And optimism. So it's, it's, yes. it's something you do, not, it's something you do temporarily, not something you are permanently. permanently. And, and that is huge. That huge. is huge. Huge. Because isn't that what we want to teach kids? You know, we talk so much about this growth mindset, fixed mindset. I don't care what you call it. There's 10 different terms for everything that, you know, Paul Tuff talks about in this book. But isn't that what we want? We want to grow children who are like bouncy balls. You fall, yeah, and you get yeah. back up, and you try it again. And you fall. And you, well, there's some saying that says people who are successful have just simply failed than other more more often than other people. That's, that's, exact, that's exactly what it is. That's 100%. It is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Maybe our, 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 fall, our viewers don't know, but I mean, a year and a half ago, I tried to do this on my own on Facebook. I set up a, a <laughs> professional online book club, and I have like over a thousand members in that, and I didn't know how to do it, and I couldn't figure it out because it was just me, and it just sort of fizzled during the pandemic, and I'm like, so I failed, and then look what happened. You know, we're doing this again, and we're doing it in a different way, and so I just, I think it's so important um, to uh, acknowledge that everybody fails. We need yep. to model failing in front of children. We need to talk about our own failures, right? The very first time you and I were going to do an Instagram live, you oh. wanted to quit. We had we had marketed it for weeks, yep. and then we we're doing it. We we're practicing it, and it like it was took forever to because we did it on Facebook. That's what it was. It was. It was. The on Facebook, Facebook was catchy, and then we were sitting there trying to figure out. We're like, you know what? Let's just cancel. And yeah, then, but we, we, we spent but like six we, hours. Like, you guys, six hours. Like, it was so bad. I'm in Kansas yeah. City, and yep. we're trying to figure out Facebook Live, and nothing would work. I mean, nothing. Yeah. Like, we spent three hours the night before, like three yeah. hours the day of, and like 20 minutes before we're supposed to go live, we're like, what are we going to do? And then we yeah. somehow, we just it, kept it, persevering. It all worked out. It all worked out. We, we, we took the risk. It, we, didn't, yeah. we didn't look at it as we were failures. We That's figured right. out, you know, technology was being a pain and it worked out and here we are. That's Beautiful. exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. So thinking about thinking, self-analysis, um, and one thing they talked about on page 121 is this rigorous self-analysis. Oh, my God. The self this is rare in our current education system. What do you think about that? That is, so, so this right there, so right now he's using the term self-analysis, which is quite possibly the best term we should be using yep. to, to, to interact with schools to get them more on, on our side and, uh -huh. and to, to doing things more progressively. But the, it, he, there, there is so much power in that sentence uh -huh. that schools are ignoring self-analysis and it, basically what he could be saying is schools are ignoring executive functioning, yeah. period. Yeah. Yeah. But this whole process of self-analysis, just think about this. You know, you're say you're in mat, say you're in English class and you write an essay. What what tends to happen? It gets graded, it gets handed back to you, and that's it. You're on to the next project. You're on to the next Great. essay. How deep is your students? Think think about this. Everyone yeah. listening right now, does in, in your school in any way, shape, or form, is there self analysis for all you SLPs out there? How many of you are putting self analysis into your speech sessions, even if you're working with young kids? Mm -hmm. How often are we asking them to grade their performance? Right. How often are we asking them, what have you learned? And it's something that can so easily be thrown into 
you know, math assignments, math tests, uh, essays, uh, you know, uh, reading, everything. You know, if, if we instill a, a, a structure for kids to be able to analyze their performance and recognize what they learned, how it can be applied. This yep. can be done in this can be done in speech sessions, OT sessions, PT sessions, everything. And even 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 socially. Spending money and buying some expensive nope. program. I mean, nope. we are simply talking about getting our teachers, our parents, you know, educators, therapists, everybody to help kids learn the habits to think about thinking, right? This yeah. is something that we can all do um and and so yeah that self-analysis i'm glad to hear you like that term that was a term I oh that was and, that right um, there that right there that sentence speaks volumes volumes yeah. because you know this is someone that traveled from school to school to school low income high income we have someone here uh my kids went to a private high school that did this I got tired of them getting A's and doing nothing. Doing nothing. There, there you go. I got tired That's of them getting A's. That's a powerful sentence right there. It is. It is. Because we should all be challenged, right? If you're, if things are too easy, then you're definitely not learning anything, right? So exactly. We want, we want kids. We want learning to be meaningful and relevant. Uh, and relevant, certainly. I just have to go back, Michael, to when you were talking about those two statements, the metacognitive strategy, cognitive flexibility, and cognitive self-control. Uh -huh. um, I made a couple notes because this whole book is called, what's it called now? How, how Kids Succeed. How Children how, Succeed. Yep. How Children Succeed. So I have in my notes, um, to be successful, and then I, I have two points. One, you need a heightened ability to see new and different ideas. So... That, to me, really goes to the idea of that cognitive flexibility. That's what that is, right? But let me ask you a question, though. That sentence, right, say cognitive flexibility is the ability to see alternate solutions to the problems. Uh-huh. What word there, let, let's say how much I've taught you about ES. Okay. What word there? What word there stands out to you? Cognitive flexibility is the ability to see alternate solutions to the problem. There's alternate. one word. There's one word there that is just so powerful when it comes to executive functioning. Where does all executive functioning start? All executive functioning starts with nonverbal working memory oh, and visual so it's, it's imagery. It's visual. So cog C, and it's all over here. Cognitive flexibility is the ability to see alternative solutions to the problem. Think oh. about that. He's not talking about seeing with your eyes. No. You can't see with your eyes alternative solutions. You got to see it here. They're visual. visual you got to see it here. Mental movies. There oh, you go. That's what, it, that's what it all is. And where, is and where does, and, and before you can see up here, where do you see? And, and this is, so basically it's nonverbal working memory. It's visual imagery. Okay. But what it what it really is is internalized play, internalized play. So just like speech, how speech goes from external to internal, and we so gain our in, we gain our internal voice. All of the play we do in early childhood allows us to see alternative solutions to the problem. So why is play so important for kids? Because they learn through cause and effect okay. and play. There you go. I'm so excited because <laughs> I actually had. In my notes, even though I didn't put it together, it's the visual imagery, everything you've been teaching me that I'm still a student. I am still learning so much about executive function. But, oh, my gosh, this makes so much sense. So the example I had written down here, because I'm in early childhood, right? I'm birth to five, real emphasis in the birth to three population. So I just – and you have a daughter, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Five months old. Uh, five, five months. months. Five months, okay. yeah. 
So yeah. one of my favorite toys of all times is nesting cups, right? And I have, I think, 10 different sets of nesting cups, and I can actually explain why some are better than others, blah, blah, blah. But so one of the things that I'm going to have our, our, our listeners, our followers, um, nice. is I want you guys, and you can do it too, Mike, I want you to tell me what are different ways you can play with nesting cups. I really, this is something that I focus on, is I teach kids flexibility in their play skills. I want them, because what are these designed for? I'm going to wait for comments. What are nesting cups for? How do kids, what do we, what do we, what do they do with nesting cups? Basically it's, it, it's cause and effect. It's cause and effect and they can do anything so they want. Can, that's right. But they're anything they for, want. for stacking, for stacking and playing for nesting, and right? exactly. Okay, so that's what most people, I don't know if people will comment. There we go. Stacking. And then of course, you know, learning how to, Oh gee, that tea party. Big. We have a tea party here. Oh, so here we go. Look at now that. We're now we're, now so we're getting there. Now we're getting whenever there. Whenever I do a seminar, my hide something under the cups. I love it. I ask people, okay, tell me 10 ways to play with nesting cups. So here we're getting, this is what we're teaching two year olds. All right. We're teaching them. So the tea party is a big one. I have like, oh, you get a little fork and a spoon or maybe just a coffee stir from Starbucks so we can have a pretend tea party. We can go cheers, right? We can teach that. How about um, sneezing it off your head? The achoo game is one of my favorites of all times to get joint attention. Uh, uh, Hats, uh, peekaboo, stacking, good ideas here. You can build pour, a building. Put them in the bean tub. Put them in the sandbox. You can play Play-Doh with them. Look, these have. Um, you see on the bottom, there's actually yeah. designs. So you can use them as stamps and put them in Play-Doh. You can put them in a shallow pan of paint. I mean, I can go on and on and on. So what's so exciting for me, and I know I'm overly excited. Like this, really, probably is not this exciting, but to me, it is that everything I've been talking about with with parents for the past 20 plus years um, is teaching children to be flexible in their play. So here's what happens then. People say, oh, well, the families I work with, they can't afford to go buy those toys. So the other thing I teach when I teach flexibility is you need to use what's available in the home. What yep. are measuring yep. cups in the kitchen? Yep. These are nothing but nesting cups. There right? you go. You can, there you go. Um, uh, use in the bathtub. You can use in the sand. You can use put it on your head and then I've got this huge tub because this is one of my favorite things in the world is to use recyclable items things that most people just recycle I don't know if you can tell what these are but these are shower gel lids they're the most yeah, yeah, yeah. thing you could ever imagine someone just said yogurt containers yeah, yogurt containers yeah so I don't ever want to hear anybody say oh well you know the families I work with don't have money to buy toys toys by definition are objects for children to play with Yep. Nobody has ever defined a toy as something you buy at the toy store. So when we start talking, Mike, about this flexible thinking and uh, being able to see see visually. There right? you go. There you go. There so you go. Huge. I That's mean, it. Oh, you just made my day. Oh, the other thing that I didn't even mention because I have my cow here is using them as food bowls for animals, right? So there you go. Um, yum, 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 yum. And then we can build in the sound effects and then we can make the animals go night-night. So then we can expand on the play. Um, and so the, the second thing then was resist the temptation to pursue an immediate attractive move, which goes back to that impulse control, which is something that through play, what do we do? We want to sustain their attention. We want to model as adults um, how to keep playing, but maybe in, in different ways. We want to help the child be able to not flip from thing to thing every two seconds, but to be able to stay on task. So I'm just telling you that you have opened up my whole world now to be able to talk about 
I mean, you've seen my post recently. Now all yeah. I can do is post about executive like literally mind blown that everything I've been talking about is actually executive function. And yet I failed to use those terms. So thank you. Hey, hey, if there if there is no play during early childhood, there will later on be no planning, prioritizing and problem solving, period. There is manual play. And then there is internal play and that manual play. There is, there are few things in life more crucial than early childhood play period, period. That's it. If you are sending your child to a non play based preschool element there, there's all those hearts. Exactly. It's all about play period and everything. So when kids are young, they don't have an internal voice. Everything's external. External, Talk, talk, talk. Everything's external. So they're just, they they describe their world. They'll talk to themselves, but you'll hear it because it's external. And then around five, seven years old, they start to gain that internal voice. And this is when we see them start to become flexible. They can self-control. They can, they uh, can inhibit their impulses. They can tell themselves to stop and they can stop. And what do you do between five and seven. Between five and seven, five and seven is when things start to go from external to internal. This is called the Vygotsky model from Lev, oh. Vy- from Lev Vygotsky. So, yeah. and, and, and Dr. Russell Barkley did a whole research study on him. So he's the one who discovered that speech goes from external to internal. And now we know that not only does speech go from external to internal, so does play. And that's exactly what this entire chapter is all about. How about nonverbal kids? That's a great, that's a great question. That's an excellent question. That really depends, you know, on the unique individual and how global are their deficits. Well, and uh, they're going to be using AAC. So exactly. just because they're non-speaking, which is yes. my preferred term over non-verbal, if they are non-speaking, then they need to be able to express themselves through a robust AAC, um, augmentative or alternative communication device. So it needs to be something voice output. So it's still going to be expressed. We still want to encourage that. It's just yep. not going to be in an oral language way, right? Exactly. In through AAC. Yeah. And I've worked with some, some non-speaking students before uh and it's absolutely incredible like you can see them you can see by their facial expression that they're talking to themselves Mm -hmm. they're talking to themselves they're visualizing themselves if you see them inhibiting an impulse if you see them being flexible if you see them if you see them transitioning well if you see their play then boom that's internal language period it is that's there so is a reflection of language development. And I think that's something that we always have to remember is whether they're speaking or not, play is, because you can't separate play and language. Play and language go hand in hand. Dr. Carol Westby, you know, taught us all about that, that you can't separate play and language. And so um, this is why I am such a proponent of play-based learning, because it is through play that children develop a language and, um, you know, those higher level thinking skills as well. Exactly. And producing speech is the most complex thing the human body can do, period. There's 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 a million things that can affect speech but we're not talking speech we're talking language we're not talking internal speech we're talking internal language so you can have you can something could be going on where you can't produce intelligible speech or speech but an internal voice and the ability to visualize the ability to re-image the relevant past 
the ability to mental spatial time travel into the future and inhibit impulses, plan, prioritize, problem solve. You know, no one understands it better. Of course, I'm biased, like I always say, than an SLP. And we we truly see the gift in individuals that have difficulty difficulty producing speech. We know there's language there. We know there's ways to pull them out and to have them interact and to bring out the best in them. And it's all about all about quality of life. It absolutely is. And I, 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 if, if a child has some uh, uh, physical, um, uh, you know, impairments that prevent them from playing, I mean, then we have to use adaptive toys. I mean, but we do have to teach play skills. I mean, it's something that, um, you know, my son is autistic and my son does not play like neurotypical children play, but he still plays. And it's about yeah. following his lead and it is about building on his interests. And so um, we could talk, you know, I mean, gosh, I could talk about uh, play in autistic children a lot, but I want to stick with kind of what we're talking about, which is in general, when we're looking at, um, you know, how children uh, typically learn, um, it's this idea of instead of saying we need to focus on test scores, we need to force feed academics as soon as possible. Um, We need to um, uh, really, you know, focus on um, high stakes testing, you know, which is something we talked about last week. Instead, what we're talking about is how children learn best, which is through child-directed, adult-scaffolded, right? Adult yep, guided. there you go. Um, yep. uh, not just play experiences, but also some of my favorite term that you use is varied experiences, right? Taking your kid to the store, taking your kid to the oil change place. I mean, like, you know, you just have to give them varied experiences. How many non-screen experiences has your child had today? That's my favorite question to ask families. And I'm telling you, it throws most parents for like a, a real shocker because when you have to answer that, it forces you to think about your your child's day, right? How much um, or how many non-screen activities has your child had today? And we can say that for ourselves as adults, couldn't we, Mike? Oh, oh what, 100. This entire chapter is about kids that were thrown into varied experiences. Yep, you know, the, yep. the, the chapter couldn't go into it, but I guarantee you none of these kids initially wanted to play chess, mm-hmm. period. I guarantee you, Every single one of them were like, I'm not joining the chess team. That this sounds stupid. I'm yeah. terrible. This is dumb. I, I'd, I'd rather go home and watch TV. I'd rather go right. hang out with my friends. Chess is hard. It's not easy. I'm, I'm sure they didn't have chess. You know, um, that was a, a massive assumption. But right. I, I know I didn't have a chess board growing up. No, they, probably, they, probably, they probably didn't have chess, chess right. boards in their houses. But it's just, uh, it's just overall, it's, uh, these kids were thrown into a varied experience. And they ended up becoming so successful because they were with an adult that provided the adult scaffolding. They were, they were with an adult that focused on executive functioning, focused on, this is not just a chess team. This is a chess family. This is a chess that's going, this is a team that's going to have relationships. This is a team that's going to interact and go through problems and work through their problems. There's a great story here about uh, one of the kids was getting picked on by another kid and they went to the chess coach and the way she dealt with it was amazing. It was literally perfect. It was textbook on how to deal with peer-to-peer conflict. And that's part of what, you know, think about any sports team you were on, club you were on, anything. And that camaraderie and that interaction and those relationships and those experiences is, is really what it's all about. And that's really what builds character. Yeah. You know, that's what builds the executive functioning. It's not the A's. It's not the academics. You know, if we're we're looking for cognitive flexibility, cognitive self-control, 
It's it's having these experiences, and it's not just from playing chess competitively that right. help these help these kids. It's you know the lessons from the teacher and the interactions with the peers. Yep, yep. And I got to tell you, Mike, just because you know ADHD, ADD is something that you really focus on. So on page one thirty, this just yep. really. Yep, yep. I, I wrote this quote down because it really I don't know it spoke to me in a way. I, I, so it, I'll just read to you. It says a lot of people with attention issues crave intense experiences and serious stimulation um they want to be absorbed in some sort of all-encompassing pursuit and then it went on to say they want to be productive but they find it so difficult to do but yep. they want that and so it, it just made me think about something because my son is autistic um i it, it's something you know we talk about autistic kids um being obsessive or you know yeah, really yeah. having this one intense interest so the but the chapter goes on and on one page on page 136 it asked this question and it just took me back it said are you a little bit interested in doing a lot of things or are you mm. a lot interested in doing one thing mm. so i don't know why this spoke to me so much but it's because as an slp we actually our field is huge and i choose not to be a jack of all trades i choose to hyper focus on a couple of areas, just as you do, right? Yep, we, we, yep. Are very, we are specialized in our field. Whereas if you work in a school, you have to be a jack of all trades. You have to True. know a little bit about stuttering, a little bit about language, you know, uh, developmental language disorder, a little bit about apraxia, a little bit about IEP writing, IEP meetings, everything. Yes, yes. Yeah. Whereas I'm in private practice and I'm an early, I specialize in early intervention, apraxia, and autism. And now I have this newfound interest in executive function. But um, there's this book that I just have to read you a quote from it. I have a whole seminar on this and it's called Just Give Him the Whale. And it's a Ooh. fascinating book about, um, about autistic uh, students. And basically the, ch the name of the book comes from there was a kindergarten kindergarten class and um the uh like special ed teacher was co-teaching with the regular ed teacher and there was a five-year-old little boy in the class and he was screaming and carrying on and finally the special ed teacher you know said what's going on and she said he wants his whale that he brought from home but it's in his backpack and i won't let him get it out because mm. he's so distracted by it and the special ed teacher's asked well what do you want him to do and she said i want him to sit in circle time and she said then just give him the whale and so that's where this whole thing comes from but there's a quote in this book this is all about figuring out what the child is passionate about and allowing them to be curious and to build their inter you know their knowledge um uh, off of their their interests so there's this quote and i don't know it just spoke to me and that it relates to this chapter but it said obsessions take focus and tenacious study they are the stuff greatness needs. I have to believe that the best of the remarkable, the artists, musicians, philosophers, scientists, writers, researchers, and athletes had to obsess on their chosen fields or would they or they would have never become great. There and you with go. The Olympics coming up this week. Yes. I don't yes. Know, I, I think about this a lot. That we complain so much as SLPs. Oh, he's so obsessed about trains, or he's so focused on letters, or he's so obsessed with dinosaurs. And I just think about that. I say that in my head all the time. But um, uh, we need that tenacity, right? They're the stuff.
enough greatness needs. How can you ever become great at something if you don't have that almost one track mind? If you're not focused on chess or on how car washes work or on dinosaurs and you know, so for me having an autistic son, I revel in this because my son has very restricted interests, but I am telling you, he is making huge gains in his ability to have relationships with other people, in his ability to communicate. It, I mean, he's 16 now and I'm just, I marvel at his progress. And it's because we, we he now, he's a NASCAR fan. NASCAR and the Olympics are his two big things right now. And awesome. every Sunday we watch NASCAR as a family and we have been doing nothing but talking about the Olympics for the past month, you know? And, and so instead of trying to get him to stop, why wouldn't we nourish it, right? Why wouldn't we support it? And so that's something that I am extremely passionate about. And I just think this whole idea of, are you a little bit interested in doing a lot of things or a lot interested in one thing? That's there you a go. powerful quote. So you, you, what I always say to my parents is you honor passion wherever you find it. That's the oh. number one thing. Honor passion. Have you ever heard of this book? Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell? Uh-uh. Uh -uh. So this is an incredible book. So okay. this book basically studies and asks, like, how do people become professionals and how do they become outliers in certain areas? Wow. How do they do that? And it's by, right. and this is that book that came up with that concept of, I think it was like 500,000 hours or 100,000 oh. hours or, so, or something like that. Uh -huh. So how did the Beatles become the biggest band in the world? Because gotcha. they used to play for free at this underground place for hours and hours and hours and hours. And they, they, they study all these people that became just the best in their field. And how did it happen? How did they, they, they become an out the 10,000 hours? There you go. So using obsession as a strength. But one thing we have to preference here. Yep. Malcolm Gladwell, great book. He, Malcolm Gladwell is amazing. Definitely check him out. Uh, one thing to preface here is we're talking about uh, honor the passions, let them, let them be obsessed, let them have their obsessions. But, but yeah. also, also... 18 and below, you have to make sure they're having varied Very experiences. So that, there um, you go. That's the number one thing. You have to expose we, them. We need to keep having this conversation yes. because it's very easy for me to hyper focus on follow their passion follow their lead but yet I see with my son like he's very um he likes predictability he likes his schedule to stay the same because their safety and the familiar because he doesn't have good ability I now understand it's a, it's a problem with executive function but he can't really see the future he can't really think about what is that new experience going to be like so he doesn't want to do new things so the more like he started attending youth group at church just three weeks ago and he actually told me yesterday, I like it. And the first two weeks, he there was you go. anxious. There and he you didn't go. Want to go. He didn't know what it was going to be. What are they, they going to ask me? I said, they're not going to ask you anything. But he was all, you know, there was anxiety there. And so forcing him out of his comfort zone, but in small increments, right? So that he yep. feels safe, so that he doesn't shut down altogether. And giving kids choices. Well, you can either go to youth group or you can go to... I don't know, church camp. I don't know. You know what I mean? Giving them choices, I find helps as well. Um, with my son trying to get him to try new foods has been an issue. And I'm like, well, you can either try X or you can try Y, or you can come up with a different food. And he's like, let's go to the grocery store and I'll pick one out. I'm like, wow. this is the best thing ever, right? Nice. So um, giving choices, but still raising the bar and expecting um, adherence to trying new things. So the varied experiences, that's your term you taught me, Mike. And I, there you go. I use it all the time now. Very there you go. So, so when we're sitting here talking about the passions and let them be obsessed and let, let them have their passions, 
I'm sure there were many parents here today listening that thought, oh, well, my son's obsessed with Minecraft or my son's obsessed <laughs> oh. with Fortnite or Roblox. What yeah, do I do? What do I let them do that? It, 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 it counts. It's great. But you still, you have to monitor how much of their life is it filling? And is it causing stress in the home? Is it causing constant dysregulation in the home? If it's doing more harm than good, you have to step in as a parent. And also, you have to remember, like some parents will, will just kind of rationalize it in their head and say, oh, but he wants to be a coder, or he wants to be a game designer, or he wants to work in video games when he gets older. It's the future. It's, it's technology. Look, these kids are growing up with tech everywhere. It's so big now, it cannot be avoided. No. He does not need to be playing video games four hours a day to, to, event, a to eventually have a career. You want him to get, take a coding class? Take a coding class. But so it's about balance. It, like, it's about balance. You, if you're going to yes. have screen time, so my rule of thumb is for every hour you spend in front of a screen, you need equal amount of time spent in non-screen activities. So it's about balance. It's if you have an hour at playing Minecraft, then you need an hour. I prefer it be outdoors, but it has to be at least an hour that involves nothing with a screen, right? And I'm not talking chores. I'm talking about leisure activities, things that you find interesting, whether it's building with Legos, whether it's riding your bike, climbing a tree, going down to the creek, um, you know, I don't know, going and getting, a, a, you know, your, your friends down, down the street and playing a game. Um, but, you know, kids, you send them outside now, and what do they say? There's nothing to do. There's nothing to do because there they're raising children in an environment yep. where everything is adult-directed. You know, yep. by the time they're two years old, we tell them to sit in circle time and we tell them to go to this center and we tell them to think this way and do this. And we're raising a generation of kids who are really struggling knowing how to think for themselves. And so um, varied experiences and not and letting kids fail. How often do you and I talk about that, Mike? You know, letting kids fail. Yep. So someone just asked now, are you OK with screen time? You know, what's the age of the child? I mean, what, you know, what, exactly. What's the what's the age of the child? But look, everything in moderation. So yeah. like we live in a world now where you can't escape screen time. Screens are everywhere. But you have got to monitor it. There has to be structure. The, and, number one, the number one thing I tell parents is within your home, the last thing you ever want is open access to screens. screens. Right. So, so right. it's, chi it's child-directed where, oh, the Xbox is there. I can play it whenever I want. My right. phone is right there. I can play on whenever I want. If your child is below the age of 18, there has to be limits on how much Xbox, how much laptop, how much right. YouTube, how much phone, period. Right. It, you can't, says, there you go. They have to complete their non-preferred chores and activities first. So yes, they do. have to make your bed or put your laundry away. I mean, those things have to come before screen time. Or you have to do three of your non-preferred activities and you can have an hour of screen time. And then you have to finish your other non-preferred activities. We need to raise children who, because all children become adults. So do you want them living with you till you're, they're 30? Or do you want them to move out sometime and have their own, you know, you know, their own home? Somebody just asked, you know, but they're giving Chromebooks to kindergartners. You don't even want to get me started on this. So this has to be a totally different, um, you know, how much do we suggest max for a three-year-old? The American Academy of Pediatrics says an hour um, of high quality oh. educational. That should be the max. And that should be, you want to co-view as much as possible, pause, talk about what's happening. But um, 
they're really, I mean, there's no benefit to screen time. People argue all the time, oh, but it makes them so smart. They're learning all their letters, numbers, shapes, and colors. Um, just because they're rote memorizing those concepts does not mean they're learning anything. Remember, no, what we are nothing. talking about now is learning nothing. how to think, not yeah. learning how to memorize. Those yep. are not the same things. Do you, do you remember, those, remember those iPhone apps? Uh, like It was called like Lumosity. And it was yes. supposed to it was supposed to those kind of things. You notice you don't really hear about those anymore. So it was a, it was a big craze for a while. Oh, increase your IQ, do this, do that. They did research on those, and they basically found that they were marketing incorrectly yes. because all those games did was make you better at those actual games. At those games. Yeah. And there was z literally zero carryover towards IQ or anything. And that's, that's exactly what's happening when kids are playing on screens. Right. You know, so they get it, better at Fortnite or they get yeah. better at Minecraft. Okay, yep. but how does that translate to real life? Are they better at thinking about thinking? Are they better? Oh, people say, oh, but he can, he has ADHD, but he can, he can focus all day long on his video games. Well, it's because that is inherently what the ADHD brain wants, right? It wants that constant dope mean squirt every two to three seconds there there's you go. something happening and real life isn't like that when a kid goes to school the teacher can't do songs and dance and have fireworks coming out of their ears I and mean, can you imagine if every two to three seconds i had to be as exciting and you know exciting enough to give you a dopamine squirt every two to three seconds so what we're doing by giving kids um you know uh unrestricted access to screen time when they're very young is we're setting them up for failure in the classroom because i'm sorry the classroom is not an exciting place until we get to project-based learning until we start you know mm. looking at changing the environment of the classroom the classroom is let's be honest pretty boring and so your kid better be able to sit in the back seat of the car on an hour drive to grandma's house without needing to watch a movie or needing to be entertained if you can't sit and be still in a car for 20 minutes on your way to daycare i'm pretty sure you're going to have a problem sitting in the classroom so do we want to set our kids up for success or do we want to set them up for failure this is what parenting is all about we have very hard decisions to make in the digital age. I love that saying dopamine squirt. I'm gonna start I'm gonna start saying that. I've been what saying do you call it? I can't remember I, what I usually say dopamine drip. Dopamine, oh, dopamine drip, drip. But squirt yeah. squirt sounds better. It's easier to it's easier, it's like easier, a, easier to visualize. Dopamine yeah, squirt. Easier, I like that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah that so dopamine squirt is a big deal, you know? They, and and it's everything. We get it with our screen time too. Oh, somebody else liked my post. Oh, somebody else commented on my post. I have to watch myself because, you know, I spend a lot of time on social media, not personally. I really don't share anything personally, but for my business and for the, you know, I'm a teacher. That's what I do. I'm a professional speaker. So I love, because of the pandemic, I've been trapped in my home office for a year and yeah. months now. And one of the ways I stay sane is I share information. I create posts. And yep. um, so I have to be careful because it's really easy for me to get hooked on that you know what i mean to uh, oh how many people liked it like that's really not what this is about i mean i'm glad to get the message out there so i i see how addictive it can be and um i have a fully developed nervous system so now imagine if you're three or four or six or eight and so it's just really something we have to we have to monitor uh, screen time mindfulness that's one of my favorite terms i coach all my families on screen time mindfulness every family should have screen time rules you should be able to state, you and all your kids should be able to state what the rules are in your home related to screen time. For example, no screens at the dinner table. There you go. That's a screen time rule. Yeah. No screens yeah. after 7 p.m. Yep. unless you're in high school and it's for homework or something. Other than that, no screens after 7 if you want your kid to ever get a healthy sleep pattern going. So, I mean, we can talk all day about, about healthy screen time habits, um, but it is something that when you live in the digital age, 
it's something we're going to have to start really emphasizing. 100%. Absolutely. So, so we were talking about honoring the passion and, and allowing kids to be obsessed and, and, and uh, helping them to you know, work through that. But just 10 minutes before, we were talking about the importance of play and how it is the foundation of all executive functioning. And think about what play is for kids. Play is not just based on their obsessions and their passions. Play is different literally second to second to second, different peers, different experiences, different toys, whatever it may be. So you think, you think about it, you know, play, you know, play is a varied experience every single time. When kids show up to preschool, when kids show up to kindergarten and it's play, it's circle time or it's carpet time, whatever it may be, stations, that is a varied experience. Kids don't know who they're going to play with, what they're going to do. Right. We have enough. We have another toy right here. Look at that. Well, I just have to. You know, this is one. And I've probably shared this before. This is one of my favorite examples for play, allowing and encouraging children to play with toys in different ways. So you can see that it's for counting, it's for color matching. But my favorite thing in the world is when I see kids break the rules because for true play is not rule based. This is there. You go activity. there. This mm. is not play. This is an activity because there's a right and a wrong way to do it. So what makes me happy is when kids start doing stuff like this. And I had one kid who just kept stacking him as high as he could. And his mom said to him, stop doing that and show Miss Carrie you know how to match your colors. So she got, she got upset with him because he was actually working on how I can he balance them. And then I have kids who always want to put them on their fingers, you know. And so then they're, so see, they're playing with things in different ways. Or they'll try to roll them across the floor. So here I am encouraging this flexible cognitive thinking, right? This is so cool. And yet parents are often scolding their child for not playing with the toy in the right way. So one of the things that I really coach families on is understanding that play, true play, I did a post recently on what true play is. You can go back and look at that post. But true play is more about imagination and creativity than it is about rules. Okay. So this is what you just said there. True play is not rule based. Based. Yep. The, that, is, that, that is the quote of the century right there. <laughs> true play is not rule based. Think about that. The cognitive hypothesis is rule-based. Yep. This gets yep. an A, this gets a B, this gets a C, this gets a D. Project-based learning, not rule-based. Right. Play, not rule-based. Not rule-based. So there you go. So everything. Yep. And, and this concept of the uh, – and, and what's the opposite of rule-based? Flexibility. Yep. What yep. is flexibility? It comes from your imagination. imagination. So there you go. Literally everything. Yep. There you go. Every single thing that we've talked about in this book, you have the cognitive hypothesis on one side, which has proved, which is a failed system, proven failed, especially since this book has been written. And on the other side, what's the opposite of the cognitive hypothesis? It's the imagination. Everything comes back to the imagination, whether it's cognitive flexibility, cognitive self-control, right. visual imagery. Every single thing that we've talked about comes back to a child's ability, play, Everything comes back down to the imagination. Everything. Everything does. Everything. So one thing I want to do, and then I want to get to the questions, Mike, because I know you yeah. said you had eight or nine questions. So, And it was on page 147. If you have the book, don't turn to it, because I really want you guys to think about this. This was a little um, uh, activity that the author had us do, and it was yes. so fascinating to me. So he said, well, this is about being able to consider multiple outcomes, right, for not just assuming. So they said, okay, I'm going to give you three numbers, and I want you to give me three numbers back that follow the same pattern. So the, um, this was the activity, and he said, two, four, six. So the, the next person said, oh, 
two, four, six. So what is the assumption? So I'm going to say 10, 12, 14. Is that yep. right? And they go, yes, that, that follows the rule. Give me another set of numbers that follows the rule. I say two, four, six, and you say 22, 24, 26. Does that follow the rule? Yes, that follows the rule. So they had like five times where they gave them a set of numbers. And every time they went by twos, because the assumption is if I say two, four, six, what's the assumption? Oh, you're counting by twos, right? And so yeah. they said, yes, all of your answers were correct but your reason for why the rule was not correct. And everybody's like, what do you mean? I mean, you were counting by twos. He said, no, actually what I, another way to look at it, what I was going for was I wanted numbers that were ascending, you know, meaning they went, they went higher. The next number was always higher. So you could have said nine, 10, 11, you could have said 100, 500, 10,000, and it still would have been accurate. So what happens is we put ourselves in a box where we think we've already determined the rule. I know how to play this. I know what the answer is. I know the answer to everything. I'm very smart. I've been to this city, I've followed, you know, whatever it is, we get ourselves locked into this, it must be this, and then guess what? We shut down all cognitive flexibility because we've already said, I know, you can't argue with me because I know. Well, you were wrong because we're thinking outside the proverbial box. And I just thought that was a really powerful way to explain cognitive flexibility, isn't it? There you go, there you go. So, so, we, so we talked about cognitive flexibility the ability to see alternative solutions to problems, to think outside the box, to negotiate unfamiliar situations. So mm -hmm. cognitive flexibility is visual imagery. It's internal play. Cognitive flexibility is internalized play, that's period. Good. There you go. Cogn that's what it is. And then within the executive functioning ADHD world, there's a little bit of discussion about cognitive flexibility and cognitive self-control. So cognitive self-control defined in this book is the ability to inhibit an instinctive or habitual response and substitute a more effective, less obvious one. So, 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 think, so think about this. Think about this. What does that require? To be able think to about think that. about less obvious um, responses or possibilities? So we have cognitive flexibility, uh -huh. which is visual imagery and the imagination and internal okay. play. And now we're talking about cognitive self-control, which requires you to have an, in, an internal conversation. So, you, so this is self-talk. What do I always say? Uh, Non-verbal non working memory, verbal working memory. Non-verbal working memory, the visual imagery system. Verbal working memory, self-directed talk, self-coach. Non-verbal working memory, mental movies. Verbal working memory, brain coach, the self-directed talk. So that's what it is. So, so he's using, remember this book's all about synonyms and all these right. words that have to do with each other. There you go. You have it again. So, and he says two of the most important executive functions are cognitive flexibility and cognitive self-control. There is no cognitive flexibility unless you can re-image the relevant past and forecast yourself into the future and have an image in mind and manipulate it and internalize your play. Cognitive yeah. self-control, you're not going to inhibit an instinctive habitual response and substitute a more effective one unless you're having an internal conversation with your brain the exact same way we're having a conversation right now. So you sit there and you, it, it, this is this, basically like what it is. you argue with yourself. Or exactly. Or you yourself out of something yeah. or into something. It's basically like laying in bed, your alarm goes off, and your instinct is to snooze and, and, and go back to sleep. But then you talk to yourself and say, no, just get up. 
Just get up. That's the right thing to do. Get up, brush your teeth, get out the door. Right. There you go. That's exactly what it is. Up, just do it. Yeah. That's what it is. And yep. kids with executive functioning delays, kids with Don't screen, kids with screen addictions, kids with not varied experiences cannot visualize to themselves cannot talk to themselves well they can do it it's just not effective and there you go and that's what we teach them that's what exactly we teach them how exactly to so so there you go and varied experiences allows us to do that and i always say executive functioning starts with non-verbal working memory in the visual imagery system but there's some discussion now over where does executive functioning truly begin does it begin with visual imagery or does it begin with the ability to inhibit and stop because because before you can visualize to yourself before you can talk to yourself you have to stop what you're already doing you have to you have you have to pause you have to to stop yourself from hitting this exactly so 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 some people will say they're neck and neck they're right there along with inhibition comes non-verbal working memory so or does inhibition come first you know, they're really the chicken or the egg. Yeah. It's ex- exactly. It's, it's, yeah. it's those things, but that's really what it is. Cognitive flexibility, internal play, visual imagery, cognitive self-control, the brain coach. That's there you go. Cool. And that's exactly what I, it is. I wanted to share, if any of you have teenagers who are learning to drive or, you know, who drive, one of the things that you can do to kind of, because again, we could probably write a whole book on strategies, real life strategies to support, um, you know, uh, executive functions. But let's say you're going to church or you're going to the grocery store is tell your child, let's say you're riding with them because maybe they're learning to drive, say, I want you to take a different route. I don't want you to go up 291 Highway, which is how we normally go. I want, because sometimes the road is under construction. Has that ever happened to you? We're like, well, we're like, oh, oh yeah. my God, the road, oh, yeah. I don't want to, I can't go this way. So I, what we do is we, we want to, we want to um, uh, uh, challenge our children. So you say, no, I don't want you to go this way. I want you to find a different way to school or to church or to the grocery store. And they're like, but why? Because I want to make sure you, you have the ability to be flexible. So, you know, those are things that you can think of that you can do to challenge your child to think on their feet on the spot and make uh, a decision stop and think about visualize okay where is that compared to where the grocery store is it's across from the Walgreens and how do I get to the wall you know and so again I think of that and I think when you talk about mental movie I also see a mental map you know what you know now yeah, GPS, yeah. right forget the GPS I want to know do you know how to get from point A to point B and, and it, it's fascinating to think about all the different ways we could support uh, executive functions in our day-to-day life and you think about that, that is true independence. Yep. That is the, these are the skills that parents want their kids to have. Yep. It's, not, it's not so much you know, knowing history or math right. or this or that. Parents want the peace of mind to know that when they're gone, their kids have the skills to be independent and live successful. That's, what every, that's, right. that's every, every parent's that what dream. Want? And that's like I said, do you want your kid to live with you till they're 30 or do you want them to move out? Um, My daughter, you know, is 24, just graduated a year ago during the pandemic. We just went and saw our new apartment today. I mean, it's exciting to see her. She no longer, I have no um, idea what her bank account looks like because she closed out of our home. Okay. Okay. And I'm like, oh my God, she did it. Like she's 20. She has her own car her own car payment. I just transferred. I gifted her our State Farm um, auto policy because they said if you gift it to her, it'll be at that lower rate, you know. So I gifted her that. I'm like, I'm free of one child. I am no longer financially. And it's so amazing to think about the fact that it took 24 years to get there, but she's there, you know. But she's there. Exactly. It's amazing. And and how much of it comes back down to her executive functioning and yeah, what she did it, it, 
and what she did as a child and all of that all of that play all of that varied experiences and and i have to say i'm not going to toot my own own horn here uh, but one of the things that i understand because i never did well on standardized tests high stakes testing the act i mean today i would never even make it into college let alone grad school um i'm i was always a very good student but i never did well on high stakes testing and um but what i now understand is i have really strong executive function skills um my there you go uh, not in my my one of my sisters does not and I understand why she I mean it's just it really helps me to understand how you know two daughters from the same parents can be so different in our um, our, our life stories and it really comes down to what I now understand to be executive functions and it's been just fascinating for me to learn about this there you go and what did we learn last week on, on, on our on our wonderful Monday chat we learned that it's the executive functioning system the prefrontal cortex that is the most most, ma- most malleable the most yeah. plastic and yep. here you have and here you have a real world example of a chess team of kids from a low income school yep. that th- this their chess coach it, it, it wasn't the teacher it wasn't and the it wasn't parent a fluke. And, it wasn't and, a fluke it wasn't and, what, and, one and what do i and what do i always talk about besides varied experiences varied experiences and interpersonal relationships. relationships. So yep. it does it and, and what does the Harvard Center of the Developing Child say about resiliency? It one positive relationship oh. out, outside of the family. So there you go. So I this, have that this here. that's in my notes because somewhere in this chapter they said it only takes one person. Oh here I, my yep. very last note it says yep. only end of chapter on page one four seven it only takes one person to make a difference in the life of a child. And that's there why you go. I think this is so powerful. And that's what um, it is. Because it doesn't take like oh, everybody in the family has to be on board or everybody at the school, but does the child have a relationship, a connection, which is why I'm such a proponent of relationship-based learning because it only takes one person to affect change in the trajectory of a child's life. And think how powerful that is, you guys. I mean, huge, so huge. Powerful. How can we create it for our kids with special needs? Well, I, I mean, I, I talk about my son all the time. I mean, Mike, you've started following, you know, my stories on Sunday about my, my son who's autistic. I mean, at three, I didn't know if he'd ever be verbal. Um, he didn't go to school until he was in second grade because his sensory needs, he was struggling so much. He was so dysregulated. And when I see where he is today at 16, I always say, yeah. go back and tell the me 14 years ago that it's gonna be okay, it does. Okay, things come together, but um, it, 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 there is no fast fix. I mean, if your child is a struggling learner, has a, a disability, has a diagnosis, um, well, that's why it's called an individualized education program, right? We have to figure out what, what kind of accommodations um, do we need and modifications do we need to make to help this student be successful. Um, but it all starts at home and building that relationship at home and then finding one teacher I promise you it only takes one. We've got one teacher at Aaron's High School, and she bends over backwards for us, and I love her, and um, she is um, an advocate in a way that I never knew. I mean, I, and I, you know, it's just, it's so special. So, do, you see, um, do you see these comments here? you see these comments here for uh-uh, you? Uh-uh. Read that real quick. I don't see any comments. Mine's so, crying so, here. Oh, so, and, crying. And, yeah, and, then, and then someone wrote, I learned so much from your Sunday A-Days. Yes, that's my so favorite day because there you go. therapy. I mean, I um, 
someday I'm going to have my husband. I asked him today. We were at the pool, and I said, will you be on Instagram Live with me some night so we can just talk about our story? Because, yeah. you know, Aaron is 16, and um, we've been through, I mean, a lot. And so he's like, yeah, I'll get on and talk. I'm like, I just think sometimes they'd like to hear the dad's perspective. You know? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, you know, the, the, the dad of the autistic kids. So I think we'll get on and talk sometimes. But, Mike, what kind of questions do we have? Let's just spend a couple minutes on some of the questions that people sent in. So incredible questions. This chapter chat community, I live for you guys. This is so much fun. And when you guys reach out to me all throughout the week, like uh, p people will message me and say, I'm halfway through the chapter. I can't wait till Monday. I'm reading it so fast. I oh, read I it every it. night. It's just interacting with you guys. And like, this is like, obviously you only see our faces and everyone else is chatting, but man, this is a true book club and you guys are freaking awesome. I so the first question is how do we get all of this great info you're sharing to school leadership? So how do we do it? Well, yeah. <laughs> so that's a, that's a loaded question, of course. It so, is a loaded question. It starts with building um, a, a relationship with the school board. In my opinion, it really it probably starts with your principal. You know what I mean? Building, becoming part of the PTA and building relationship with the principal and, you know, the vice principal and eventually reaching out to the school board. Um, I have offered in many cities as a professional speaker, people will say to me, will you come speak to our school board? I'm like, all you have to do is ask. I'm in. There you go. Once have I been invited to speak to a school board? So of course. Um, you know, this is this is where it's at. Is what Michael and I are talking about, and what Paul Tuff is talking about, and so many of the other books that we're going to be. And remember, we got to do the. I picked oh. a person. Okay, I picked a person, Mike. Okay. Oh, you did. Yeah, I hope you're okay with that. But oh, of course, I hope yeah. Everybody is still on because we're going to give away a free copy of our next book. So um, every once in a while, I'll, every once in a while, I'll, like I'll be reading this again. Uh -huh. And I'll start. I'll start peeking through this a little peeking bit. Peeking through this, I, 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 yeah, the next book, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but so, yeah. Somebody said becoming part of your professional development team. It's about bringing in speakers uh, for your professional development days that are actually talking about something uh, other than the same old same o. Yep. Um, this is yep. why Mike and I are so passionate about this book club. Um, yep. The only way to affect change is to do it on a bigger scale. But everything starts at home, right? Everything starts in your backyard, and so it really is. I think one day Mike and I need to probably uh, do. A, a training together. You know what I yes. mean? We have to try to yes. do the right one and start traveling around and doing it. Um, I've been a professional speaker for 11 years and it's, it's what I do. It's, it's my favorite thing. So I yep. think that um, we're getting ready to, to write our um, outline for our new book. Mike and I, yep. and I were that's right. Up. So that's yes, right. it is the next book. Absolutely. Um, I, I told Mike earlier, I said, I can't start a book because I've written two books. I said, I can't start a book till I have a title. So we have to, we have to nail down the title and yep. then we have to do the table of contents and then we can start writing. So that's just how my brain works um, because I have to see the whole picture before I can really like kind of start in, but exactly. Anyway. So how do we start slowly, um, but we have to stay focused and we can't, we have to be resilient, right, Mike? Because we're going to get right. told no, we're going to get told this will never work, we're going to get told change can't happen like that, and um, we're just not going to take no for an answer uh, because Mike has a daughter who is five months old and we need to make yeah. sure the education system is uh, ready for her. That's right. And, and, you know, the overall answer, how do we get this info to school leadership that's exactly why we're doing what we're doing. That's exactly why we we've made Monday the best day of the week. That's this right. is, this is a this podcast is, now. Mike, tell yeah. me podcast. Yeah, we, we are on we are on Spotify and we should be on Apple Podcasts probably tomorrow. 
So you can look us up. You can type in our names, type in chapter chat. You can listen to us while you're on a walk, while you're on a treadmill in the car. So thanks for joining us live and thanks for being so interactive. Some incredible, incredible comments and questions today. But hey, listen to us on Spotify, listen to us on podcast and and, and share, share these chapter chats with other people. If you need a preschool to observe, reach out. Okay, nice. The Goddard School in Wayne wants us. Okay, all right. So before we go on with other questions, because I'll stay on, we can stay on a few more minutes, but I know some people need to get off. So we are going to send um, a copy of Finish Lessons 2.0. This is the book that we are going to do. We have two weeks left on our current book. So in three weeks, we'll start Finish Lessons. And Mike, I hope you're okay. I picked, oh, now it's gone. I picked the Molten, Allison Molten. Because that's the one, that's the one. So much that's the one. marketing for us. So Allison, if you can please message me your mailing address and I am gonna make sure I'm gonna have Amazon send you a copy of our book for Chapter Chat. Um, for the second uh, 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 book uh, choice selection, which will start in three weeks. So oh, um, there yes. you go. She's, she has been, um, I, I gave her a shout out in the beginning. She's I a, she, yeah, she might not have been on yet. So oh, yeah, she's a, we really appreciate, we need more people. Mike and I really, we love doing this and we would do it if there was only two people on because we're yeah. so passionate about this. And because it's also a podcast, we feel like we're not doing this for not, you know what I mean? It's getting of recorded. Course. And so it's other people will get to hear it. Um, but if you tell your friends, tell your colleagues, uh, we would really appreciate it. Our goal is to get this um, to be able to affect change. And the only way to do that is to reach uh, more people. So exactly. um, the books, every book we've picked is available on Amazon. So How yep. Children Succeed is on Amazon. It's like $8.39. I mean, it's yeah. crazy how reasonable that is. Um, the author is Paul Tuff. P-A-U-L-T-O-U-G-A. And the author for the author. There you go. Yeah, I don't know how to say that. What is it? Posse Salberg. But Finish Lessons um, is the second book. But you won't need that for three weeks. So anyways, give me a couple more questions, Mike. Let's pick out a couple really good ones, and then we'll call it a night. Okay. So how can we build flexibility in school? Can it be on an IEP? Ooh, Mm. I like Mm. that question. My son obviously has been on an IEP his whole school career. And one of the things when we would sit in IEP meetings that I would say to the IEP team, and they would look at me like I was crazy, but they got used to my language because I'd say at every meeting is, you need to rock his world. And that was what I would say. I would say, you're making things too easy for him. It's too predictable. You let him sit in the same chair. You let him, he has the same teacher for every subject. The para never steps in or he always does X with the para and always does Y with the teacher. So I would always say, you need to rock his world. You need to change things up. Because when they kept things so rigid, okay, where everything was predictable and the same, then when there was a substitute, let's say, or when um, they were gonna have an assembly and that wasn't part of the regular day, I would get a call that Aaron was having a meltdown, that they weren't able to calm him down, that I needed to come either help them calm him down or come and pick him up. And I remember just being like, what is going on? Like, you, you, I mean, we have to make sure that we don't make school so rigid and so predictable that mm-hmm. our kids can't function. Mm-hmm. What is life? Life mm-hmm. is a big surprise. That's what yep. it is. Oh, you're driving to work. You have a flat tire. Good luck, Mike. What are you going to do? You have a meeting or you're supposed to be seeing a kid and now you've got a flat tire. You're going to call your wife. Is she going to come get you? Or do you have AAA? Because if not, AAA is a really good idea, right? So this is where, again, the executive function skills come in is what are you going to do when you run into a problem, right? How do you handle? So can it be built into an IEP? I don't know if there can be a goal for it, but I'm saying this is strategies. These are modifications and accommodations that we can make 
that we say we want to make sure that the child does not, the student does not sit in the same desk the entire school year, that we change, you know, seating, that he sits with different peers, that um, at the lunch, at lunchtime, that he changes lunch tables, that I'm just saying you have to prepare children. Here it is. Life has bumps. We need to prepare kids for that. If we don't, if we keep things so safe and so supported, guess what we actually set them up for? Meltdown. 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 There you go. After there you meltdown. Go. After meltdown. So can it be added to the IEP? I say yes, but not as 100, a goal. As 100%. Oh it, oh, it can be a goal. It can be, a, it goal. be a goal. But 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 here's the thing. What's the big overall irony of all these things that we're talking about right here? So in so we have the cognitive hypothesis, and it's all about testing, 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 measuring, putting labels on kids, putting scores on kids, all of these things. That's what it, that's what it's all about. Right. And what's and what's the big irony here? What's truly important is executive functioning. Executive functioning, None of that flexibility, self control can't be measured, can never be measured. The right. way that IEPs are set up, the way that special education is set up, the way education is set up, everything has to be measured, everything has to be labeled. We literally determine if a kid gets services based on their scores on a test. That's basically what it is. So the, the big thing here is how, like, schools are going are gonna to do whatever they can to not put flexibility on an IEP because right. it cannot be easily measured. Easily and, measured. But yeah. here's the thing. It's all about how it's written and how you approach it in the IEP meeting. If you write it as fading prompts towards independence as evidenced by infor informal observation, because think about it, how are you going to, like, you can have a rubric here and there, whatever, whatever the sure. school, whatever the school needs, if it's very ABA based, whatever it is, mm -hmm. but, but look, it's, it, you can have a goal for flexibility, you can have a goal for self-regulation, you can have all the executive functioning goals you want for a student, but it has to be fading prompts towards That's independence, it. there you go. Write it down, Done. you guys. If you're a parent, Done. especially, or if you're an SLP who works in the schools, fading prompts toward independence. That's the verbiage that, I mean, Mike, you're just, you're, you're a genius. I mean, Mike is brilliant, <laughs> There you go. Um, and you need to really <laughs> listen to um, his, no, seriously, like, I've learned more from you in the past, however long we've been friends. Um, I, I was talking <laughs> to my husband, we were in the pool, and I was like, Jim, you've got to meet Mike. I'm like, you've got to meet Mike. And I'm like, let's have a Zoom wine dinner where you yeah, and, Mike yeah. and me and my husband, and we're going to meet. And then, and then he said, why don't we just fly to Philly? And I'm like, okay, oh, so you know, nice. Jim is ready to come. Okay, Let's so, do it. Uh, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Come on down. So, all right. Let's do one more question, Mike. All right. So Mike. let me try to find. So there, there's a lot of good ones. A lot of people reached out. Let me try to find the best one here. Uh, oh, okay. Here's, here's one that goes along with what we were saying. So I can't I can get my kid to play chess or sports. How do I get him to have varied experiences? This is good. There you go. So, so like I said before, so many kids with EF difficulty will do whatever they can to not exercise, not play sports. Yep. I, They're I know, sedentary. They I, prefer yeah. sedentary activities, yes. which is screen time, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so I know a lot of... Uh, I know a lot of kids that are obsessed with video games, play video games, and I work at a couple of a couple of schools that started in esports league. So the kids play esports competitively. So it's it's a way to get them to socialize. I get it. I totally get it. It's not the best thing in the world. Right. But I can't tell you how many kids are obsessed with the actual game Super Smash Brothers that they're, they're playing in esports, but they refuse to join the esports team because they don't want to play it competitively. 
because it, they don't want to deal with losing. They don't want to deal with, with these sorts of things. It's fascinating. And wow. that's, that's what's keeping them from going and playing soccer, from joining karate, from doing those failure. things. It's not exercise. It's not being outside. It's the fear of failure, the fear of being compared to others. It's that lack of resiliency. Okay, so one thing then that I would just say, and I mentioned this earlier, is you and I, as the parents, as the adults, as the therapists, whatever, we need to model failure. Yes. Every time, like, I dropped a glass, I was doing dishes, yes. and I knocked a glass off, and my son was right there, I said, oh my gosh, I just broke that glass, next time I need to be more careful, and Aaron goes, my son goes, yes, mom, you need to be more careful next time. There so you he, go. You know, he kind nice. of shunned me for it, but I want him to hear me say the words, I screwed up. Next time I need to be, you know, so today we were having dinner and his glass of milk was literally on the edge of the table. And, you know, it's the mom instinct to go, move your glass. Like, oh, my God, it's going to fall. And I said, and all I did was said, hey, buddy, um, is your milk in a good place? And he kind of looked at it and goes, oh, it might fall. And he moved it. And I was like, okay, here we go. So, you know, for me, I, again, I've learned a lot from Mike just recently and just trying to really work on my son's executive dysfunction because I now yep. understand everybody said he has language disorder, language disorder, language disorder, which, I mean, he does. He has a weak vocabulary, but we taught him a skill. Now he asks, what does that mean? He said that at least 10 times today. What does that word mean, mom? And I'm like, here we go. We're teaching. You know, it's so cool to see him at this point but working on um thinking about thinking working on problem solving seeing in his brain what comes next i mean it's just it's all good stuff and and here's my suggestion if, if if your kid won't play chess won't play sports won't do anything shuts down the varied experiences will only play screens will only play computer will only play games you take all that stuff away do not give them any access to screens unless they do everything in one day that you do. So they are following you. They're doing laundry with you. They're running errands with you. They're paying bills with you. They're going grocery shopping with you. You expose them to a day in the life of it's you. They, that's it. Um, there you in go. My, in my screen time seminar, that's for you know parents of very young children. Um, but uh, digital detox is something really important because if your child can't go seventy-two hours without a screen, they're addicted. I mean, for sure. And so oh, yeah. you need to make oh, yeah. sure when your child is like, "No, I don't want to go to that birthday party at the bowling alley because they know they can't take their screen there." They're giving up fun experiences, varied experiences, um, because they are addicted. So if you have to do digital detox, it won't be pretty because detox is detox. I yeah. mean, it's not yeah. going to be pretty. But I'm going to tell you, Mike has story after story. He shares them on his yep. social media page of parents saying, oh, my God, I thought you were crazy when you said to take these screens away. I thought there's no way this is going to work. And it works every single time. Every single so I have never worked with a family nothing, who regretted it. Then you remove the only thing they'll do, you remove all screens and the whole family's going to have to do it. You're just going to have to say, I mean, when you're at work, that's one thing. But here in the home, we're not going to do Netflix. We're not going to do, um, you know, games yep. on the Wii. Yep. We're not going to, we're not, we're not going to. For 72 hours, we're going to go have varied experiences. And you can have a fit if you want, but sorry, there are no screens for 72 hours. I double dog dare you to do a 72 do it. hour digital detail. Do it. I double dog dare you. And there's I'm never been a better time. There's never been a better time to do it than the summer of 2021. When things right. things are opening up, you guys, pe people are getting back. Right. Get out there! My son, there you go. Everything you want to know. The Olympics <laughs> start 
7.30 p.m., opening ceremonies this Friday night. We are going to do um, popcorn and M&Ms because M&Ms are the same color as the uh, rings. So nice. we're tying it all in. So he's all pumped. We already know what we're going to do Friday night. This is what you have to do. You have to talk about it, plan it as a family, make it an event. It's, yeah. Is it a screen experience? Yeah, watching the Olympics is, but it is done as a family. So we're yeah. talking about it. We're all projecting, you know, what our favorite event is going to be. I mean, it's, and, and so it's, it's encouraging communication. It's encouraging family time. So what you just said, it sounds so simple. We're projecting what our favorite event is going to be. Ooh. Think about all the executive functioning that entails. Isn't that exciting? That's visual imagery, predictions, yeah. cognitive flexibility, self-control. All, yep. don't, only make, don't only make predictions about, uh, about what the event's going to be. Make predictions about everything. Make yeah. predictions about, you know, who's going to win, what's going to happen, what's going to be the most exciting, these sorts of things. Always work with your kids and, and yep, and have, uh, have tons of, of uh, external conversations That's where right. you're, you're doing mental spatial time travel. That's just right. That's project right. project based learning. There you go. It's that's, so exciting. That's I just what it have is. to give a shout out to one of our listener or one of our followers, Sherry. Sherry Goldstein. Um, her son works for NBC Jordan, and he covers the Olympics. And he sent Aaron um, a backpack. I think I did a post on it yesterday uh, on Sunday. Uh, but it sent him a, a, an official Tokyo 2020 Olympics wow. backpack. And so wow. Aaron opens it and he goes. Now I can use this on August 25th, his first day of school. Like he's already, and so I see he's already visualizing Mike that he's going to use it. I mean, it's so exciting. So Sherry, again, I know uh, you have no idea what uh, what an impact you've made on our son's life, but it's just so exciting. And um, I don't know, this has been this has been fabulous, Mike. We're an hour and twenty minutes in. I guess we're hey tonight, hey huh? let's hey let's keep going. <laughs> let's keep going. I got we nothing else to do. Two hours. Let's keep it up at all. At all. So, Mike, next week we're reading chapter four, which is called "What Did I Say? How to Succeed." How so, to succeed? Yeah. yeah. So we're we're getting into the we're getting into the nitty gritty here. We are. We've got two weeks left on how children succeed, and then uh, in three weeks we will start finish lessons 2.0 so we are um going to uh just keep rocking and rolling and we appreciate you joining us tonight again tell your friends tell your colleagues we're uh gonna be as of tomorrow i guess on did you say on 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 apple podcasts on apple podcast we're on yeah. spotify right now chapter chat is what we're called yep. and uh, mike and i are very grateful for your time and your interest and keep sending those questions in and we will see you next monday night Absolutely. Every single person who came, we thank you guys so much. You know, this is only just the beginning. We, we got, book, we got, but look, look at all those books behind her. We're reading, we're, <laughs> we're, we're doing it all. So every we're single person, every book. we're not going to hey. stop. We will be a hundred years old. And we will still be doing chapter check. That's okay. right. And so yep. Allison Moulton, send me your address so I can send you a copy of finished lessons and we will see you guys next Monday at 8 PM Eastern. Thanks Mike. See you guys there. Bye.